G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. I was a little bit presumptuous, being a little bit reckless with my investments and expecting God to bless me. And I had grown to love money quite a lot. It became quite important to me and wealth and success and what money could buy. And the prosperity gospel I bought into promoted the love of money significantly. So it wasn't actually the gospel, it was a false gospel. And uh, that false gospel bitterly disappointed me. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today, Eddie-Anne McClintock joins us once again to share more of his life journey. As we heard last time, Eddie-Anne is originally from South Africa and had several family members that were involved in the occult. But he put his faith in the Lord and now walks in the light of Jesus. This time, he shares another challenge he's faced in life. Sadly, he temporarily fell into the trap of the prosperity gospel and the love of money which put his life in a tailspin when it proved to be a false teaching. We'll find out how God leads him to freedom as Eddie N continues to share his story with Shelley Scowen. Tell us about the next season of your life. You went into a very difficult season, didn't you, with uh, some financial difficulties? Yeah, well, that's true. Um, what had happened is you've got to be very careful. You know, the, the, the Bible tells us there, the Apostle Peter says, no, be sober, be vigilant because... Your enemy, the devil, walks around like a raging lion, seeing whom he can devour. Now, it's not always as obvious as that. Sometimes it can be very subtle. And uh, I had inadvertently, through some other friends of mine, bought into a, a slightly different gospel. It's referred to as the prosperity gospel. Um, now that I work for an organization called Voice of the Martyrs with the persecuted church, I also realized that the prosperity gospel doesn't work in countries where people are persecuted. They may not get the better career or the bigger money or the bigger house or the bigger car. Uh, They may actually lose all their income. They may never see their family again. They might be incarcerated. They may end up in a forced labor camp. They actually may even lose their life. Um, So the prosperity gospel is actually a false gospel, in my opinion. But I bought into this. And um, the best man at my wedding and also um, my groomsman, These guys were actually very successful businessmen. So this was the group I was hanging around with at the time. And um, I was also making some investments. I was on a a reasonably good salary, but uh, never quite uh, at the heights of where these guys were. You know, they were self-made millionaires, both of them. And so I bought into this idea that uh, I should also pursue, you know, wealth and fame and fortune. And uh, one of the ways I did it, I actually started um, dabbling a little bit with the foreign currency, the forex market. And I uh, signed up for a, a platform that uh, traded what they call CFDs, which is Contract for Difference. And uh, I had to, at this stage, we, had, we were owning our second home. We had an investment property. And I'd sold the investment property with the potential of moving overseas into Asia and then working there for a, a corporate organization. So I had this money <clears throat> and I took about $100,000 and I invested it. Uh, into this platform, and I would take $50,000 positions and hold positions. At that time, it was the New Zealand dollar against the US dollar. But it was a leverage of 100 to 1, which means for every dollar I invest, I was actually investing $100 in the market. 
So small movements in the currency would actually give you good gains or big losses as well. And I was actually going short in the market where I felt that the New Zealand dollar was overvalued. Many commentators were saying the same. So I was going short. So as the New Zealand dollar would drop in value, I would make money. Well, one morning just before I jumped in my car to go to work, I, uh, I went short in the market. I took a $5 million position in the market. And uh, by the time I, uh, I got to work, I was listening to the news just on on the way to work. And then the um, the Federal Reserve of New Zealand had uh, entered in the market and they'd sold uh, half a billion New Zealand dollars. And the New Zealand dollar had dropped significantly in a matter of uh, seconds and minutes, really. So when I got back to work, I closed off my position and I had made $70,000 in a half an hour, basically. Wow. Yeah, so now I'm thinking, well, I'm starting to live the big life here. I invest a little bit more money. I make another th- uh, $10,000. I invest a little bit more money. I, uh, I make another $5,000. So I pull some money out. I'm feeling a bit generous. And uh, I give some money to my grandfather in South Africa who's on a very poor pension. I remember paying for a... Uh, a theology student. I paid his whole year's tuition because he was working two jobs and studying full time. And I'd heard about this guy and a few other bits and pieces. And uh, so I kept on investing in money. And uh, what happened is I kept my positions open, expecting the dollar to, uh, you know, to to drop. But I kept on climbing. And I remember one night I was actually a guest speaker at a uh, at a, a students conference. But they were sort of at some remote area, and I didn't have access because I had these apps on my phone, I had all these apps on my computer, and I was now this big trader, you know, making big money. And um, anyway, I was just thinking the Lord was blessing me because I was a good Christian boy at the time, and, uh, you know, prosperity gospel, you sow your seed, you give some money away, the Lord blesses you with a ton more. So uh, while I'm at this place, that particular night, the, the dollar the New Zealand dollar just keeps on running. It ran up to 81 cents, just over 81 cents that night, and it closed out all my positions. So all that money I'd made, I lost, plus a lot of the money I had invested in the market. So I was thinking it was about short $66,000 at the end of it. I'm talking about not only the the losses that I gained, but on top of that, I lost $66,000. I was $66,000 worse off because of this. And that really upset me. I got really angry about this, that, you know, my friends are so successful I was looking over my shoulder a little bit too much, I think, but my friends were very successful, and here I had just uh, lost all this money, and I I was just miserable, and uh, I stopped talking to the Lord for a while. Well, a while turned into weeks, and then into months, and then into years, and I was still sort of attending church for a while, but I stopped going for a little while, and uh, I was involved in the church at that time, and often uh, teaching and even sometimes preaching. And I just tried to avoid all those preaching and teaching opportunities. I didn't want to pray. I wasn't speaking to the Lord. And uh, I became very depressed. God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. They always are. But if you misunderstand the gospel, and the devil even can quote scripture. I mean, when he tempted Christ, he was quoting scripture as well. You know, he'll I'll bear you up so you don't dash your foot against the stone. This one is tempting Christ to be presumptuous and throw himself off the temple. And then expecting God to save him. I was a little bit presumptuous like that, uh, being a little bit reckless with my investments and expecting God to bless me. But God had never promised that to me. He promised that our bread and water will be sure and ultimately we'll experience uh, eternal life through Christ and we will have love, joy and peace in this life, but not a prosperous life here necessarily. And I had grown to love money quite a lot. It became quite important to me and wealth and success and what money could buy. And uh, money in itself is not evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
And the prosperity gospel I bought into uh, promoted the love of money significantly. So it wasn't actually the gospel. It was a false gospel. And uh, that false gospel bitterly disappointed me. So it took me seven years, but my thoughts became darker and darker. And the more I thought of dark thoughts, the more depressed I became to the point where finally I was just, I'd go to bed tired. I'd wake up tired. I just feel exhausted all the time. I wasn't enjoying life. I used to love rugby. Being brought up in South Africa, the big rugby nation. I played rugby in New Zealand as well when I lived there. And uh, even going to the Rugby World Cup final, this is now in 2011, I'm sitting there and my boss had seen that uh, I was a little bit flat. He's buying me all these rugby tickets, you know. We're talking about $500 tickets, $1,100 tickets, not only myself but also to bring someone else, sometimes my wife, sometimes my dad. And uh, we'd watch these rugby games and I sit there all miserable thinking, man, why can't I even enjoy this rugby game? So finally, I just – all the joy that I had in life was lost. And I was just thinking, you know, it's just better if, if I just had a car crash on the way from work or something. And I just, if my life just stopped, that would just be the rest that I want because I'm tired. I'm tired the whole time. I go to bed and I just wake up and I'm still tired. And um, funny enough, I meet a guy while I'm in the corporate environment because I'm still working some long hours. But in this corporate environment, I come across a guy that had been brought over from the U.S. His name is uh, Dr. Ben Carson. He's written books, Gifted Hands and so on. And... Um, He tells his story how he basically grew up in the ghettos. And to cut a long story short, he actually had an encounter with God. His mum made him read books. He was the dummy in the class. But then through reading two books and doing book reports, and his mum would mark them, although she was illiterate at the time and didn't realize that, um, he had an encounter with God. And all his success and becoming a neurosurgeon that would, you know, do 50-hour operations where they would take Siamese twins and they'd separate them um, and all that, he gave God all the credit. But anyway, after meeting him, I was so inspired by him that I actually bought uh, one of his books. And I ended up reading that. And in my darkened mind, slowly but surely, because I thought my thoughts were dark continually. You know, it talks about the antediluvians before the flood there. Their thoughts were evil continually. Well, my thoughts were dark continually. That's what I thought. But perhaps not entirely. As I'm reading his book, more and more of the goodness of God and how God had blessed him, and, uh, and helped him in his life started flooding into my mind. And so then I buy another book. I started reading that because before that I was trying all kinds of psychological stuff. I was, you know, I bought a course of Tony Robbins, uh, self-help motivational kind of a guru and many other books I was reading. And some of those principles I actually started applying. They said, look, if you want to improve your life, you've got to write affirmative statements for yourself. Write them as if it's a truth that's already happened. It's almost like you're prophesying over yourself, right? But this was just a secular approach to it. They were using some of these mind techniques. But I'm reading I'm reading this book now by um, Ben Carson. And so as I'm reading his book, I start referring to some of the texts that he's referring to in the Bible. And some of the things come back to me that I'd read and previously studied in the Scriptures and uh, I'm starting to write these affirmative actions, but I'm putting a Bible promise beside all of them. Eventually, my whole affirmative writing was about a half hour's reading long, and probably 90% of it was just scripture and scripture promises. And then it dawns on to me one day, look, you're, you're basically suicidal. Uh, if you want to take your own life, why don't you take your life and save it at the same time? And what I mean by that is, Christ asks us to deny self, to take up our cross and follow him. And the Apostle Paul, even then, 1 Corinthians 15, says, I die daily. 
So I thought, well, what a novel idea. I can actually die, like die to self, and gain a new life, a new hope, and a new perspective. And then all of a sudden, I remembered the joy I'd experienced after praying for my mum at that time when she was sick. And uh, this inspired me so much that I decided that I'll do that. So I actually went beside my bed. It was uh, sort of uh, maybe five or six o'clock in the evening. Now beside my bed, and I just prayed and said, Lord, I just give my life to you. Um, I cannot... Uh, I cannot go on like this anymore. I'm at my wit's end. This is the last. Matter of fact, my wife, who knew, who knows me very well, of course, she'd recognized that I needed some help. And she's saying, you need some professional help. They probably would have put me on a drug or something. But anyway, so she walks into the room and she seems startled and she sees me kneeling. She says, I haven't seen you do that for seven years. So I talk to the Lord and I experience an incredible peace that just comes over me. Um, but I'm still working through this process. So I find myself at a conference. This was maybe a month or six weeks later. And uh, I'm at the conference, and it's just before lunchtime. There's, there's still a guest speaker speaking up the front. And it just dawns on me, look, you haven't had one negative thought for two weeks. You haven't had one dark thought for two weeks. Matter of fact, you're actually happy, and you've been happy for at least two weeks. That's when it dawned on me. The Lord had performed a miracle. My body chemistry, my mind chemistry, all of that had been bad. And, uh, you know, I'd been depressed for seven years and God had performed a miracle in my life, a a transformation that uh, um, I didn't even believe was possible. Mm. I leave, I walk out of that conference straight away, I go to my room and I kneel down and I thank God for his goodness towards me because I knew I was, I'd been a bad man. I'd been egocentric and selfish. I'd been very aggressive. Uh, Talk about road rage and driving down the road. I was an angry driver. Uh, you know, just angry and upset with people all the time. And the Lord changed my life again. And subsequent to that, I haven't really looked back. While there's been temptations at times, and the Lord has kept me. And there is an interesting text in the Bible. Um, I believe it is Second um, Peter chapter 2 and verse 20, which actually summed up my whole experience. It says, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, They are again entangled in them and overcome by them. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them if they had not known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So what had happened is because I walked away from the Lord after having experienced such a miraculous um, relationship with him, but being distracted by a false teaching, and then the false teaching actually not delivering on expectations. Um, the Bible actually told me that I would have a far worse experience than I would have had before I actually came to the Lord. And I had experienced that, but I also experienced the joy of the Lord that in spite of us, the Bible tells us he does not deal with us according to what we deserve, that his mercies are far greater. And even Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, where, the, where sin abounds, and there was much sin in my life, um, grace abounded much more. There's always more than their sin. Uh, So I'm just praising God. I'm so grateful for what he's done in my life. And it's not about a faithful Etienne because by no means have I been faithful. It's about a faithful Lord and Savior who loved me and gave himself for me. And with testimony, and of course, one thing has led to another. Now I'm actually working in ministry. I'm no longer in the corporate world. I'm working for Voice of the Martyrs and inspired by what I see and hear and read from the persecuted around the world. You're listening to The Story. 
Today, Shelley Scowen is once again chatting with Eddie N. McClintock, who's originally from South Africa. As we just heard, God led him out of the false teaching of the prosperity gospel and the love of money. Next, we'll hear how God is using him in the voice of the martyrs ministry, where he learns about true fulfillment and the different ways that God blesses people. All that and more when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Shelley Scowen chatting with Eddie Ann McClintock who grew up in South Africa and now lives here in Australia. But as we're about to hear, he's also involved overseas with the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry. How did that come about? Well, we'll find out as Eddie N continues to share his story with Shelley. Yeah, well, and this is the interesting thing. I mean, God's called you away from that love of money, as you were mentioning earlier, out of that corporate world and into ministry and with people who are the most passionate about God under the most difficult circumstances. And you've gotten to see some of that firsthand, haven't you? Tell us a bit about your trips into Asia. Okay. Well, uh, look, I was just working for a small Christian radio station and um through a friend of mine who actually worked with in the corporate world in New Zealand, after 15 years, he rang me out of the blue. He goes, you won't believe it. I no longer work in marketing. I'm not a marketing manager anymore. I'm actually working for Voice of the Martyrs. Now, I hadn't known much about Voice of the Martyrs, but I had a bit of a fascination because, I mean, when you read the Bible, it's very clear there's been persecution in the past. Jesus predicted it even in the Sermon on the Mount. And then also, if you read the prophecies, there'll be persecution in the future. You know, we talk about the tribulation and so forth. And so uh, I started uh, meeting the people at Voice of the Martyrs. I started meeting the CEO, Tony Benjamin, and uh, we became friends. And I started running a program just talking about, it's called Souls Under the Altar, just talking about persecution. Tony would come back and share his reports when he's been overseas, telling us what the persecuted church are experiencing and telling some stories. And then in between his trips, I would just take Fox's Book of Martyrs and I'll be sharing that on this radio program. So he was enjoying what I was doing and the, um, the exposure I was trying to give him through this little radio station. And uh, he, he then um, invited me on a trip to go to China to meet with the underground church and also to go to Korea and meet with North Korean defectors and people who have fled persecution in North Korea. North Korea is one of the worst countries for Christians in the world. There's an estimated 70,000 Christians in labor camps a lot of them lose their lives in those labor camps because they don't give them enough food and they pretty much work them to death. And uh, these people obviously count the costs when they come to the Lord. Um, everything is so hush-hush um, there in regards to, you know, their, their Christianity that they dare not share it with others. And quite often they may be families of two or three. And I met a young man while I was there in North Korea where he, his mum, his sister and his aunt were the only Christians that ever worshipped together. And they would do it very quietly uh, when it was safe to do so. And they had find, they found a little Bible and they would share this Bible, but it was always in hiding. They had suspicions of other peoples in certain places that may have been Christians, but they never spoke to each other and they actually never uh, devoured the fact or acknowledged the fact that they were Christians to other people because, I mean, they are deep underground. And what had happened is they ended up getting caught 
by worshipping one night by someone that infiltrated their group and acted like he was a Christian as well. He actually told them that he was a Christian and then finally they trusted him and then they got arrested. Unfortunately, his sister was sex trafficked. Him and he, was, uh, he was a young guy. He was thrown into a labor camp, but he escaped. And his, his mum and his aunt were finally released. They were in prison for a little period of time. They then escaped, but he still doesn't know what happened to his mum. And I remember he's only 21 years old at this time when he's telling us the story, but the sadness in his eyes, being concerned for his sister and praying for her all the time. There are many stories like that of people who have fled persecution in, uh, in Korea. And uh, we have a number of ways of getting Bibles into Korea because, of course, it's illegal to, to have the Bible there. One of the things we're doing is we use weather balloons and we launch Bibles with these weather balloons. We've been doing it for about 15 years. And it's uh, interesting that uh, we can now actually drop these Bibles within a kilometer of target just by looking at the wind speeds at different levels, how much uh, helium we put into the balloons and so on, and we GPS track them. Um, but in the beginning, you know, hardly anybody had seen these little Bibles we drop. Now, when people come across the defectors, 8% of them have seen these Bibles. And quite often, if the government finds out that the Bibles have been dropped through these balloons, they'll cordon off the area, will search everybody coming out of the area to see if they have the Bibles. If they get caught, they get arrested. Wow. But now we're finding that the police and the military are actually picking up these Bibles as well. And amongst the police and military, there are people coming to Christ after receiving these little Bibles. Because obviously, you'd be very curious why this book is so, uh, so dangerous. And a lot of them ended up reading the Bible. Uh, sometimes it's just a small little gospel, like the Gospel of Mark, because they, uh, the smallest gospel out of the lot, and they read that and they, and they come to Christ. That's an example out of North Korea. In China, uh, we, we go to China, we, uh, we arrive in one of the big cities in China, get picked up by a couple of gentlemen, uh, just a humble-looking Chinese gentleman. Turns out that previously he had been a merchant banker, very successful, and that uh, early in his life, he had heard about Christ. Someone had shared the gospel with him, and he, he joined the official church there for the Protestants. Now, this is an organization that's sponsored by the communists, managed by the communists. They'll determine who can go to the seminary and who can't, who can graduate, who can get baptized, who will be appointed as leaders within the church. And uh, after a while, he realized that they only wanted a social gospel preached there. You couldn't preach about the resurrection of Christ. You couldn't preach about miracles. What you could preach... Only the things that would benefit society, like love your neighbor as yourself, they would be happy with that. And then after a while, he realized, well, if you can't preach the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, his high priestly ministry, that he would come again, the second coming of Christ, then the gospel is really watered down. So he started up a home church. And this was about, what, 30 years ago now when he started it. And as he was uh, sharing the Bible at that time with people, more and more people came to know it. More people asked questions. He started being a, a great teacher. They would split the groups because the group was growing so fast. They normally have a house group of uh, around 15 to no more than 25 people because it becomes a little bit too dangerous. And his organization had actually grown from that small beginnings to now having trained um, 100 Oh, I've got to remember this now. Uh, over a thousand pastors, over a thousand pastors he's trained, and each of those pastors have got close to a thousand members under them, all made up of house churches. So his organization is more than a million strong in China and growing strong every year. In one of the cities, they have a baptismal season normally during summer, and in one city, they'll baptize up to 3,000 people during that baptismal season over that two month period every year, and it's growing. Wow. 
But there's a big shortage of Bibles. China's got the biggest printing press of Bibles in the world. It's called Amity Press. Mm-hmm. It's Im- almost impossible for a Chinese person to get a Bible. Since um, February 2018, uh, Bibles have been banned from all bookshops. You can't even download a Bible app. And the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, is now actually translating a new version of the Bible, which will not have 66 books, but have 68. And one of them is to interpret the Bible from a socialistic perspective. Uh, And no doubt many of the miracles that were in the Bible will be taken out as well. Mm. People are quite concerned about this, but until that Bible is released, uh, they struggle to get Bibles. So people find ways around it. They may get a VPN or something like that. But these people are very faithful. 2014, there's a big crackdown on crosses being taken off churches. They're doing the same now. Bible verses have been taken from churches. Communist slogans are being put in um, where they used to have a cross in the church. Now that's been replaced by a photo of Chairman Mao, Mao Zedong, and also Xi Jinping. And under Xi Jinping, they've actually tightened up on uh, their control of Christianity, even with the official church, which, by the way, has got about 25 million members but if you look at the underground church, the estimate is 100 to 130 million members in the Chinese, uh, in the country of China. Yeah, so the underground church is getting stronger and stronger despite the persecution getting stronger and stronger. This fascinates me. I mean, why can't the church grow fast in a country where we've got religious freedom like Australia? Yeah. It's meaning that people, when they get really sincere about their faith and and are prepared to share their faith and prepared to die for their faith, people are inspired by their commitment to what they believe in. And uh, we typically find that in these places, you know, they don't always have access to a Bible. If they have a Bible, they'll they'll break the binding of the Bible and they'll share the pages of the Bible around. So one page uh, might go through 10 or 20 hands, you know, and they'll copy it, they'll try and commit it to memory, but they've got low knowledge compared to what we have in the Western world, in the, in the Christian churches in the West, but they have very high obedience. Their level of forgiveness, their level of loving their enemies is far above what we get. And I mean, we as Christians get road rage when someone cuts us off. <laughs> These people will forgive people who are even torturing them and treating them poorly. Um, our level of understanding is high, but our, our obedience is relatively low compared to what I see in those countries. Mm. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing some of your story here on The Story. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to share. There's there's much more to share, but I'm just grateful that I could just share this passion that the Lord has placed on my heart. At times it feels like it's fire in my bones and I cannot keep it to myself. So thank you so much for this platform to share it and share it with your dear listeners as well. Well, that was the end of Shelley Scowen's two-part conversation with Eddie Ann McClintock. And I think it's safe to say that it really has led a fascinating life. It was great to hear how God pursued him through all of his ups and downs, particularly in his younger years, where he was brought up in a Christian family but didn't really know God personally. But he's now living full on for the Lord and God is using him in many different ways, including his involvement with the voice of the martyrs ministry in various parts of the world. It's interesting that we started off today hearing how Edian was seeking fulfillment by chasing financial success. But God has now asked him to work with persecuted Christians who've taught him a thing or two about true fulfillment and how God blesses people in very difficult circumstances. Some vital lessons that I think we can all learn from. Well, if you'd like to find out more about the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry in Australia and how they are serving persecuted Christians with practical and spiritual assistance, their website is vom.org. 
vom.com.au. That's vom.com.au. Well, thanks for joining us for the conclusion of Eddie and McClintock sharing his story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.